Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 325, recorded August 9th, 2020. So today we're doing Year 5, Star Trek Year 5 from IDW that came out here in 2020 uh, for issues 11 through 13. Oh, bueno. Yes. So I didn't realize this, but this really isn't just like a short thing. Uh, you know, a short little mini series of like maybe 10 or, or 15 issues. This is like an ongoing thing, which I didn't realize that. Right. But, um, you knew about it. Well, and, uh, I, I mean, I wasn't for sure until I saw that there's a, you know, at least goes up to 16. They at least announced who the creative teams are for those. So. Cool. Hopefully it'll just keep going. I mean, you kind of knew it had to because, you know, RX didn't become a... Uh, a helmsman until you know last issue and i've seen a whole season two seasons <laughs> of the animated series where he's up there so right <laughs> yeah I, I don't want to give away what happens in the third issue today thir- issue 13 but um i mean i mean it's like the enterprise coming home there's a big deal made out of it and that almost seems like it's the it's the end of the um, end of their five year mission. Now, right. did did I misinterpret that? No, no, you're right. Then how could he keep going? Don't know. I have it. I don't know. Okay, okay. So, well, we'll talk more about it later, I guess. No. Anyway, I'm enjoying it quite a bit. Um, having the uh, Calvin verse ongoing, I enjoyed quite a bit. But now we're going back to old school Trek Taws. And having an ongoing series, which is high quality, very high quality, uh, good writing, sometimes really good writing, and sometimes like, well, that's weird. Why did they write it that way? But for the most part, good writing. So uh, I'm really enjoying this series. Quite quite a change from doing UK comics for a while. <laughs> right. Which has its, it's like Gold Key. Has UK its comics. Charms. They have their own charms, and they're good, and it's all Star Trek. But it's like quite a contrast to uh, these uh, IDW offerings. Right. All right, so shall we just jump into the first issue, kid? Let's do it. All right, so issue 11 of Star Trek Year 5 uh, by IDW Comics came out February of 2020. The writer was Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly. Artist by Stephen Thompson. Inker by Maria Keen, and it does say that it's only pages 6 through 20. Colorist by Charlie Kirchhoff. Letterer by Neil Yutaki. Editor by Chase Barotes. Consulting editor by Denton J. Tipton. And then the Star Trek Year 5 showrunners are Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly. So there are, are two covers that I could find for this. Uh, the first one is by Stephen Thompson. And it shows Scotty at his keyboard, and then he's kind of looking over to look at uh, Isis the cat, the black cat. 
and she's kind of walking towards us, but then her shadow is that of a human, not not a cat. And then the next cover, which is by J.J. Lindy, and this kind of looks like maybe an old James Bond uh, poster. Uh, it has uh, four or five uh, stripes down the side. And it says, like, in, in movie font, IDW presents Star Trek Year 5. When two missions collide, will the Federation survive? You know, and then inside these shows, Isis and Gary Seven walking on top of a bullet that's coming out of a gun. And then we see Kirk Spock, Ohora, and McCoy's uh, faces kind of off to the side. It, it looks almost like an Archer thing, doesn't it? The TV show? Oh, which they're also aping um, old James Bond posters, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. And but also. I don't, I don't watch Archer, so I don't know. Oh, okay. Well, there's, in the opening credits, there's a thing where the bullet shoots out of the PPK and he's walking along it, so. What do you think of the mission who walks like a man? Is that the actual title? Uh, I don't think so. I think okay, I, I, I don't want to derail you. Okay. No, 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 that's fine. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, neither do I. Uh, but J.J. Lendl is really good, and he does a lot of uh, Star Trek art. Anyway, go on. All right, thanks. All right, so the um, so the story starts with Gary Seven and Isis discussing how Kirk thwarted their Tholian plan and how they now need to take care of him themselves. He transports himself and the cat Isis to the Enterprise. And then he cloaks himself, but not the cat, so that they can travel amongst the crew. Meanwhile, Kirk is having a private conversation with Spock to tell him that he's putting in a commendation for Spock's actions while Kirk was injured in the last several issues. Spock does not feel like he deserves the praise since he did not prevent the war with the fish people, or amongst the fish people. So, meanwhile, in engineering, a cloaked Gary and a non-cloaked Isis walk in and watch the crew interact with the Tholian Bright Eyes, who is now wearing a full environmental suit, just fitted out for a Tholian. Gary uncloaks himself, and he uses his sonic screwdriver to set off some gas canisters to clear the room. Bright Eyes tries to blast him, though Uhura tries to stop him, saying that, Stop! It's Gary! Bright Eyes does blast the man, but it does not seem to hurt him too much due to Gary's blast-proof clothing. The Starfleet crew make it out of engineering and close the bulkheads, leaving Gary and Isis locked inside. Ahura and Scotty take this time to try to figure out why an ally, Gary, would suddenly appear and attack them. Somehow Gary and Isis can, are able to continue their way through the ship, then they are confronted by a security team. They make short work of them until Chekhov points a phaser rifle point-blank to Gary's head. Somehow, Gary is able to use judo and sonic screwdriver to lay the Russian out cold on the floor. Kirk is asleep in his bed when he is contacted to return to the bridge. En route to the bridge, the environmental controls for the ship go offline, and this includes gravity and air. Kirk is able to get an oxygen mask on and make his way to the bridge. Once there, the bridge is unaffected by the environmental controls being out. Kirk then orders an evacuation of the crew to a nearby planet called Circe 5. 
Once the crew is safely off ship, Kirk uses the communication to call Gary out. Gary takes the bait and he transports to the bridge. The two men size each other up, ready for a fight to the finish. Meanwhile, on Cersei 5, a cat makes its way out of one of the escape pods unseen. To be continued. Gary, Gary, Gary. Yeah, you were really unhappy about this. Uh, these two issues, weren't you? Well, yeah. Because I always liked the character of Gary 7. And at least they're presenting him and his actions. And as we'll see in the coming issues, he is seriously evil now or so he appears you know maybe in the end we'll find out that all of his actions are justified but um i mean he's really he's really taking it to the enterprise crew and the federation (laughs) man right he's always been the kind of character that'd be playing the long game right uh, so like he knows more than he knows what's going to happen. Well, well he's a temporal agent, right? He knows agent, what he right? needs to do in order to make things happen, right? right. They, they've played him up that way before. Yeah. But never like this, where he's just flat out. I mean, especially in the next issue. Goodness gracious, he's he's the bad guy. Oh, he... Oh, man, big time. Um, yeah, and, and, the, and the problem is, I mean, supposedly... I mean, they refer to him as a temporal agent. Right. So that means he can travel in time, which is like, oh my god, how do you fight against that? And then, obviously, he's got big tech uh, backing him up, and he's got genetic manipulation backing him up. And um, and quite frankly, when you said uh, when Bright Eyes shoots him with whatever that, uh, what, what, what do they call that? Uh, Tholian radiation burst? Right, and you said it was because of his um, his special clothes. Right, it was like, oh, I never realized that. I thought he was just biologically bred to be much more robust than a normal human being. But you make a good point. Yeah, well, he, I guess it could be taken both ways because what he says is that they need to upgrade our defenses against Tholian radiation bursts. So uh, right. I took it as his clothing, but maybe it was his skin. Well, I mean, to some degree, probably probably both. But um, if you look at the beginning of this issue where Gary is uh, getting dressed, uh, you see that there's a little bit of blue lightning around his tie. Um, oh, yeah. And it's like, I, was, I saw that. I was like, well, what the heck's that supposed to be? And then in the coming issues, there's going to be a part where there's a big mano-a-mano fight. And... Uh, and there's also this blue, like, lightning around. I mean, they're trying to say that he's got some kind of little uh, personal force shield um, yeah. that, that, is, that is helping him uh, fend off. At the very least, it's tuned to, to Federation phasers. Right. So even if he gets hit by a phaser, it's like he can, he can slough it off because of whatever protection he's got. Um, and by the way, at the beginning... It opens up, and Isis is like, ooh, ooh-la-la on a couch while Gary is getting dressed. So are they trying to insinuate that they have a, um, they're, well, basically they're doing it? Uh, I didn't take it that way. Okay. I mean, she's like, she's a cat, so they were just well, showing how cats lounge around. 
I know, I know, but I mean, I mean she, that's kind of what they did in the original show too, right? Well, yeah, but I mean, you, you know, it's very obvious, especially as this goes on, that um, that she's a shapeshifter of some kind, right? Um, not necessarily that she is the exact kind of shapeshifter as Odo, um, but she can sh- change her shape, and so it's not right. just the cat thing. So, um, right. Well, we saw that in a previous issue, right, where she was a. Uh... The Tholian that was trying to yes. get the Tholians mm-hmm. to start yep. the whole war. Yep. Yep. So. So she has. She can change her 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 herself quite well. So she's not just a cat. Right. Anyway, and obviously she's a very hot lady too. So I mean, it's like, well, whatever. I'm just reading. More so you took it, it that they're more than colleagues. Well, they, yeah, they're partners. They're like uh, like Scully and. Um, Mulder. Right. And you know what happened with them eventually. Anyway. Of course, you could also say... the show, right? And then we're replaced with the Terminator. <laughs> that happened too, but they also, you know, got together and had a baby. Oh, really? Spoiler, I haven't seen it. Oh, sorry, but it's been out so so long, <laughs> I, will not, I will not take any blame for spoiling a 20-year-old show. Anyway, okay. Yes. Um. Anyway, I just, I, just, it just seemed like, oh, well, okay. I mean, they didn't come out and say it, but it's like, kind of, like, oh, okay, Gary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Isis is quite an attractive uh, woman when she's in the woman form. Okay. And but later on, we'll see she also gets really scary. Right. So, speaking of Isis, I did not like that uh, a cat can just walk around the bridge or walk around the whole ship and nobody will notice. It's just like... Well, Scotty did on the cover. She's a pretty big cat. <laughs> yeah. I mean, think about how many times you've caught a, a bug or something that was just kind of in the corner of uh-huh. your mo- eye yeah. and you caught it and you're like, eh, it's a bug. Yeah, your eye detected uh, the movement. Yeah. Uh, imagine a giant cat walking around and completely... Unbeknownst to everybody, right? I didn't like that. He should have just cloaked her too. And if you have magic tech, why can't you just go all the way? Yeah, or just transport around the ship where you need to be, right? Because um, they obviously have long-range tra- teleportation capabilities. Um. Yep. Yep. Unless the Enterprise is so infested with vermin that we just don't normally see because they don't show it that. The crew has become blind to it. Ah, could be, could be. Um, something I'm wondering about towards the end, jumping towards the end, there are scenes at the very end where you start finding out that Kirk has actually thought about the possibility of coming up against Gary and his uh, uh, his masters. You know what? You know what's ever gonna. You know how, how could they possibly deal with something like that if uh, if some if some set of people that powerful were to decide that well, maybe uh, you know Starfleet isn't uh, the right thing for humanity, right? Um, so that's really kind of interesting that they're setting that up. That Kirk was actually thinking that far ahead, and then it's like, well, okay, so he's thought far ahead. Well, what what's he gonna do? I mean, what are you what are you gonna do? What's the plan? And then, where did that blood come from? Coming out of his temple? 
Uh, did he? Yeah, he didn't get a bump in the head while he was floating around. So, yeah, good point. Oh, did? Well, I didn't notice it. No, he, he didn't. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. if you go a few pages back, he's coming off a turbo lift onto right. the bridge finally, and I don't see any blood. Uh-uh. Unless this page is supposed to be from the the next issue. You know, the original flashback where he's bloodied oh. and with a gun to his head that was in the issue number one. I don't know. I mean, it seems like he's, this is him talking over the intercom, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the bridge is on an isolated circuit, and yeah, I guess he's doing a log or something, also. But yeah, right. And then, yeah, and then, point. and then he it should w- not be beat up. You're right. And then, is he beat up when? Yeah, when he shows up, he still has that cut on his head. Yeah, you can see it's it's dripping down his his uh, temple. So where'd that come from? I don't know. And then. As you, when you first see the blood on that page that has like uh, three horizontal strips, panels are like in four strips. Right. The last one, the one on the bottom, it looks like. I, I think the final panel is is still Kirk's face, right? Is it? No, that's Gary. Oh, that's Gary. Yeah, he's clicking something on the bottom of his sonic screwdriver to. Oh, okay, okay. So that is Gary. Bridge yeah. mark. That's Gary. Okay. So right. I wasn't sure what that was, and and you know it's Kirk. Oh, I see. It's alternating. That's right. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. So it's Kirk, Gary, Kirk, Gary. Okay. Anyway, I was just wondering whether Kirk was, you know, <laughs> did something crazy like uh, put some kind of little mini nuke in his skull. He's going to blow himself up in Gary. <laughs> I was just my, my head was going all over the place with that. Uh, anyway, apparently not. So, so how you, you love. Escape pods. Oh, sorry. No, no, escape pods. Fine. Let's let's talk about those. Did you like them? I I thought they were a very interesting design. I mean, they, they never had. It, Taws never had escape pods uh, that I recall. Not that we ever saw. No. Exactly. I mean, you kind of hope they would have such a thing, <laughs> but they never had the money <laughs> to do. They never had the money to do anything like that. Uh, yeah, the first start... time we saw escape pods was. Uh, Genesis, right? No, like, yeah, no. First oh. contact, right? When they launched him out of the Enterprise E to go down to Earth, because he was going to destroy the Enterprise with the Borg on it. Well, didn't we see some of the? Well, at well, at the very least, we also saw them. Well, what came first? Uh, DS Nine had them. I mean, they were they were showing Wolf Three Five Nine and stuff. Um, yeah, but that was like a shuttle. Like when when uh, whoa, when Cisco, when Cisco I thought, leaves. I thought it was a, more of like a little tiny shuttle. But I yeah, thought it was right, an escape so. pod, but a bigger yeah. one that could hold multiple people. Right. Yeah. Where these are individual escape pods, or so it appears. Yeah, they look a lot like the Kelvin escape pods, except they have like cheesy red fins and stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's so it has like little little red wings. So that's supposed to help it to fly in air? Yeah, exactly, so that it has a soft landing. Oh, well, you got rockets. Uh, whatever. I mean, it's, yeah, they, it looks, actually, they are very similar, although a little bigger than the ones they use in Beyond, right? Right, yeah. Right. Yeah, that's what I was talking about when I said Kelvin ones. So, yeah, it looks it looks like those, except they have the, the red fins. Right. But it still has, like, their face where they can... <clears throat> Yeah, yeah. up to a window. Right. 
Yeah, right. Yeah. So it, it reminded me just a little bit of the um, – in Lost in Space, they had – it was amazing how many things they could fit in the Jupiter 2. But one of the amazing things they had in the Jupiter 2 was something that kind of looked almost like a, a moon lander that they were able to fly around in. Oh, really? So, um, I mean, like as in the NASA moon lander kind of thing. Sure. I got it. And um, – yeah, it just, that just reminded me a little bit of it. Although these are, it's, well, actually, that might be about the same size. Uh, they weren't that big. Anyway, so uh, I thought those were big. Cool. I mean, because there's several people at them, right? Well, you couldn't fit more than one or two people, I don't think. I don't know. Look at that picture where somebody's coming down, down the ramp. Seven one, and it, yeah. I mean, it has a little ladder, so. Yeah, yeah ramp, you right? Fit like eight people in there. Eight? You think yeah, eight? It was squished in there. <laughs> like, let's see how many people we could fit in a phone booth. Exactly. Yeah, a, it could be like that. A double-decker phone booth. Yeah, there you go. Okay. I don't know. I think if you're trying to escape an exploding ship, uh, your comfort inside of the escape pod should be pretty minimal. Yeah, right. You should be right. squeezing in as many people as you can. Uh, yeah, you probably should. Um, just you wouldn't want to actually be in that coffin with a, with a bunch of people much longer than you had to. Sure. <sighs> so, how do you like... Uh, I am just ecstatic over uh, Chekhov uh, aping more of his security kind of guy thing he grew into, I guess. Right. Uh, ongoing. Uh, you know, with the phaser rifle. And he's got Gary dead to rights. But he still loses. <laughs> well, he still loses, yes. But still, you know, that's pretty good. I mean, I like that. I mean, he's got the, the big old phaser rifle. Love those things. So kitschy. Um, you know, right in Gary's face. Right. So did Gary use his fall asleep mode on his pen like he used in the original Taws? Uh, oh, is that what it was? I yeah, think that's maybe. what he did. Because remember that guard at, uh, at the NASA or, well, whatever that uh, military or NASA – uh, rocket liftoff area thing was uh, at the end of the original assignment Earth episode. Right. right. So he used it on on some guards, um, and they kind of like got all loopy and you know, like went away. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Gary could get to where he needed to get to. Yeah, that sonic screwdriver thing can do anything. Uh, it's 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 a lot more handy than the sonic screwdriver. I mean, this thing. I mean, the sonic screwdriver could do a lot of amazing things, but this thing, Gary's sonic screwdriver, is amazing. And it is a sonic screwdriver. There's no two ways about it. Right, right. Yeah, this, it even looks like the uh, like the third Doctor's sonic screwdriver. The third one? Okay. Yeah. With the two little, like, antennae balls or whatever coming out exactly, of the top? Exactly, yeah. Right, right. Right. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, so I think Gary, I think you're onto something. I think Gary definitely has some kind of a personal shield. Worked into his tie or something. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's like John Wick and he just has bulletproof. Uh, oh, yeah, suits. right. Right. Oh, God. You know, that, uh, I mean, at least they, at least in the John Wick movies, so this, was, this was the second one, right? Where he had the uh, bulletproof suit. I don't remember. I think it was the second one. But at least they had something like that. Because there's just too many bullets flying around to think that, you know, this one guy could avoid all the bullets. 
Right. But it's kind of ridiculous. I mean, quite frankly. But yeah. whatever. At least they kind try like, to explain how he could somehow not get hit. I mean, are all these people, these assassins he's going up against, uh, storm uh, stormtroopers? <laughs> I, anyway. It's it's kind of my thing with Batman and, and RoboCop too. It's just like, uh, all right, so if their bodies are bulletproof, aim for the noggin. Yeah, shoot them in the mouth. Yeah, exactly. There you yeah, go. there's no there's no bulletproof suit there. Right. Anyways, um, so what'd you think of Gary's gun? It kind of looked like a. I don't know, like a Star Wars gun, I thought. Um, I thought it looked pretty cool. Obviously, it's special. Um, and we'll see why it's special soon uh, in the next issues. I think in the next issue, issue we'll see why it's so special. Um, uh, you think of Star Wars? Yeah, I guess maybe. A Star Wars or a Black and Decker um, <laughs> cordless drill. Exactly, right. That front part. Yeah, uh, it even looks like it has the, the, the keyless chuck. Yeah, exactly. It looks like a keyless chuck, which is a little bit like a you know a Taz phaser. It's got that extra you know that that cylindrical thing in the front that's silver. Right. But uh, yeah, so it's a, it's a little like a Taz phaser, but it's a it's a traditional pistol grip kind of thing. Um, I think it's a I think it's a good lo- a good looking design. Yeah, no, I thought it was cool. Yeah. It's menacing. It's menacing. It's, he doesn't it's... shoot anybody with it. Oh, no, he does shoot somebody with it. Does he in this one? Yeah, he shoots two people. Oh. Those two crew members that were trying to get him before checkoff. Ah, right. I All right, and then cool my last thing is uh, <laughs> there's only one oxygen mask in the whole Enterprise, and Kirk grabs it. Yeah. <laughs> so all those people start floating and choking, and Kirk's the only one that can get an oxygen mask and then just float through it float through the ship uh yeah yeah amazingly handy things come out of the walls right but everybody should get one they should have one <clears throat> on every corner kind of like uh, in i agree i agree and i did like how the mask looked like what han solo and leia use in empire strikes back ah. you know, just <laughs> no explanation as to where the uh oxygen comes from, from. Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, it's just a mask that has a little a doohickey hanging out of it that's unlimited oxygen. Exactly. <laughs> right. But uh, but no, I thought those scenes were cool where he was floating through the ship. Yeah, that did look pretty good. So, yeah. So, no gravity. Gary's really messing with him. Well, the last thing I want to say before we move on is mm-hmm. the J.J. Lendl cover. So, I just want to go back to that just for a moment. Um, sure. So, J.J. Lendl, uh, because I have, I, mm, he, he's the artist that has been making um, art covers for many Star Trek TV show episodes. And he's great. Love it. I love most of his stuff. Um so he'll have yesterday's Enterprise, and he'll have a poster for that episode, or um, Arena, and he'll 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 put together a very cool poster for that episode. And mm-hmm. this is great; I love it. And and they got I mean I, I don't know how long he's been doing covers for um, IDW, but I I love that they're that he's involved in this too. So. Right. Well, I think he's been doing all those, the alternate ones for this series, right? 
Maybe. I didn't realize that, though. Uh, yeah, so maybe he's been doing it the whole time. But I... Yeah, all of the, like, you know, travel brochure ones, things mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. But did he do it for other IDW properties? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. Uh, you know, there's always a, a lot of different people that do covers, just covers, or at least do just covers on a particular issue, and they might do n- normal artwork on other issues uh, or other properties. But this one, I don't know what J.J. Lendl's background is, but he's made quite a career out of um, basically kind of like doing posters, uh, right? covers, uh, you know, whatever you like to call it. Um, but I, I do like his work. Now, has he actually done actual – I mean, I know that he does like these like homages to um, – episodes and TV shows and movies, mm-hmm. but has he actually done actual po- uh, you know, one-sheet posters for a feature film? I don't know. I-, I had the impression he was more like a general purpose like a graphic artist. Right. Because uh, he's done these kind of things for other, not just Star Trek, but other sci-fi properties too. Sure. Um, so it seems like kind of like a maybe a sideline for him or something. I don't have the impression that he's a comic book guy per se, um, but he's more like a general graphical artist that does a lot of different kind of artwork. Um, but yeah. I, I guess I'd have to go and look him up more to know more of his thing. But anyway, so uh, yeah, that's all I have to say for this one. All right, I'm ready to move on when you are. Okay. So issue 12, again, I none of these call out uh, titles, although sometimes some of the J.J. Lendl ones, alternate covers, sometimes they can give you an idea about what titles are, but nothing in the book seems to say anything about titles. So no titles for this one. Um, and it was March 2020, <clears throat> published date, and... Many of the people are the same. However, did um, in this one, they have a lot of different artists that do a lot of different pages, which is kind of interesting. So definitely 12 and 13 do that kind of thing. Uh, I don't think... No, 11... Yeah, uh, Stephen Thompson did all of 11. So starting with 12, they do have... Uh, so artist Kieran McCowan, pages 11 through... 1 through 11, and pages 7 through 21, or 20. Then Sylvia Califano does pages 13 through 16. Then Stephen Thompson does page 12. Okay. And then, similarly, colorists are kind of paired up. Um, But not 100% paired up. So colorist Thomas Deere does pages 1 through 11, and then he does 17 through 18, and then he does page 20. John Paul Bove does pages 13 through 16 and page 19, and then Charlie Kirchhoff does page 12. Other than that, I think everybody's the same. So I will not repeat all those people. Two covers. Cover A features the shadow of a mystery hand holding a gun to Kirk's head, apparently on the Enterprise bridge, because uh, the shadows of Kirk's head and, and gun is falling onto the Enterprise's blood-spattered dedication plaque. 
cover by Stephen Thompson. I like that cover. That's pretty cool. Retailer Incentive Cover A features sort of a travel guide poster advising us to escape to Circle V. I like that. Spock is standing on a planet at night with rocky gray mountains in the distance and the Enterprise high above and apparently, or it looks like it's leaving Spock behind perhaps. And um, there you go. Temporal agent Gary Sevens or Seven and Captain James T. Kirk attack each other with surprising violence. Kirk knocks Seven's amazing sonic screwdriver out of his hands, so not putting the good captain to sleep. Seven pile, dri- Seven pile drives his right fist into Kirk's mouth, twisting his head violently and sending blood streams out of Kirk's pie hole. We are able to see Seven's thoughts as he assesses his opponent's true strength. To be unexpected. He inventively comes up with ways to win unwinnable situations, to beat the odds and turn defeat into victory. After both combatants land blows that would sap the fighting spirit out of a lesser man, Kirk is able to find Gary's sonic screwdriver and plunge it into Seven's left eye. Look out, Cyclops. Thinking the fight is over, Kirk offers uh, a truce to Seven to get medical attention from Bones, but only if Seven stops attacking the Enterprise and her crew. To his shock, Seven merely removes the device from his eye uh, in, in his left, with his left hand, and he picks up and aims his nasty-looking pistol at Kirk with his right hand. Shocked, Kirk takes the con when Seven tells him to. Seven wants Kirk to cooperate and let him use the helm controls recently routed to the con and fly the ship directly at the crew rendezvous point on Circle 5. All hands and the ship will go up in a ball of flame, nice and neat. Kirk unexpectedly presses the con button and starts the ship on its date with destiny, saying if someone destroys the Enterprise and her crew, it should be her captain. Meanwhile on the planet, Spock is on top of one of the escape pods, addressing the assembled crew. After some back and forth with the crew, Spock abandons his plan to follow the captain's orders and let Kirk take his shot at foiling Seven. Instead, Spock takes Scotty up on his plan to modify one of the pods to create a transporter that he can power using the intense radiation given off by Bright Eyes. It should be enough to transport one person to the Enterprise Bridge. The plan barely starts when Isis, in woman form, comes out of nowhere and starts slicing up red shirts with her claws. Spock orders security to set phasers to stun and defend Mr. Scott. To counter the red shirt's counterattack, Isis starts to turn herself into a really big Tholian. Spock, Mr. Scott, and Bright Eyes run to an escape pod and start making the needed modifications. In the meantime, Chekhov and Sulu quit screwing around and go full Charles Bronson on Isis with phaser rifles set to kick ass. Scotty is able to complete the mods and Bright Eyes pumps out the radiation that powers the transporter beam, which takes Spock to the Enterprise. In the meantime, 
The hull of the Enterprise is red-hot with atmospheric friction as it approaches its final destination. Seven holds the nasty-looking pistol to Kirk's head as he makes his final captain's log that will likely never be heard by another being. When suddenly, Spock's familiar voice says, if you, are going to, if you are going down with the ship, it's my duty to accompany you. Seven points his gun at Spock, which gives Kirk all the time he needs to karate chop it out of Seven's hands. Kirk flips Seven over his head towards the view screen when Spock follows up with a graceful no-look knee to Seven's right temple. Karak! But Seven is still not giving up and is able to get Spock's phaser and point it at the Vulcan. By that time, Kirk has Seven's unusual gun and shoots Seven in the chest with it before Seven can shoot Spock. The odd gun first causes electrical arcs uh, at the site of impact. Then it explodes Seven's chest. Ouch! That would have been the end for most known species, but despite an open chest and significant face trauma, Seven is able to use his sonic screwdriver to transport himself off the Enterprise and to the surface of Circle 5 right next to Isis. Isis has taken cover behind some rocks as the combined firepower of six crewmen and their phasers is too much for her to handle. Isis says she was hurt, but one look at Gary and she knows she had it easy. Seven says they lost the fight today, but he will hurt them back, just not today, as, the, as they both beam off of Circle 5. In the meantime, Enterprise is practically on top of the crew when Kirk and Spock are able to pull the Enterprise up and away from a fiery impact with the planet. How they did that without frying the entire crew like marshmallows on a scout trip, this humble narrator does not know. But our heroes did it. Not long afterward, the crew was returning to the ship and making preparations to leave Circle 5. Knowing Seven and Isis will be back, Kirk gives the command to set course for Earth. The end. Or to be continued. I like how that uh, final picture of Kirk has him talking on his finger phone with his thumb and his index finger out like a <laughs> like, a, like an old telephone. Uh-huh. That's funny. What a weird shot. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Okay. So it isn't quite up to his head. No, he's hanging it up. So it's not like. He's <laughs> <doing> it. <laughs> Yeah, it looks like his thumb is is either touching his his face, maybe I don't know, or maybe he's trying to say "hang five. I right. don't know. Yeah, maybe. maybe yeah. It's a little... Maybe it's a gang sign. Yeah. It's so for the, for the Yodas. For the Yodas. <laughs> yeah. So I like the final panel. It shows the Enterprise streaking through warp with kind somewhat of a Millennium Falcon look. Mm-hmm. And uh, it says we sail for Ithaca. So, I'll I'll stop talking and then you can talk. But I definitely want to get back to the uh, how heavily the writers are leaning on uh, the Odyssey. Well, let's just do that then. Oh, okay. So, 
they're really leaning on the <laughs> Homer's Odyssey <laughs> <laughs> in what's going on here. So, uh, and obviously Kirk is Odysseus, and I guess now Seven is, Cycl- is the Cyclops, and um, Kirk's trying to get his ship and uh, and crew home. Right. Um, so now, because I have a horrible memory, uh, when did we talk about o- the Odyssey last? Seems like it was very recent. Uh, you yes, I mean you uh, opened my eyes to the fact that um, brother oh brother where art thou right was basically the story of the Odyssey only adapted to you know uh, the Depression era uh, U.S. Sure. Uh, so that, that was cool, and I did not see at all that John Goodman was uh, the Cyclops. But as soon as this happened, as soon as Gary <laughs> had his eye out, uh, it was like, oh my god, they're doing it again. Right. So I, I, I don't know what, what what triggered that discussion. I don't remember. I don't remember either. It was the UK comics, so... Okay. So I don't remember what exactly triggered it. but Yeah. But here it is, triggered again. Yeah, so... I mean, in the last issue, they talked about Gary being the Minotaur and all that stuff. Oh, you know, yeah, which is a totally different story. Life. Right, right, right. But, I mean, they're definitely leaning into, like, uh, myths Greek. And, and... Yeah, Greek mythology. Right, and then here they are doing the uh, Odyssey. Right. Even with with them, you know, blatantly pointing it out at the end with Spock and Kirk's conversation. Oh, yeah. Yeah, if, it, if you didn't get it... <laughs> During the issue, you definitely got it at the end. They hit you over the head with, head with it. Right. Yeah, even quoting it. Yep. So, yep. So, what was, uh, was Isis supposed to be something from there, too, when she's kind of transformed into Carbon half everybody woman, up? Half, uh, half creature? I don't know. Uh, Odysseus came into, con- him and his crew came into contact with many uh, challenges, not just the Cyclops. Um, so maybe. I, I don't remember, though. Yeah, I didn't either, but there was uh, just Calypso? that one shot where she's half human and half giant Tholian, which I assumed had to had to have been a reference to something. Maybe. Uh, I know Calypso, who I think was a demigod? I don't know. I know she had something involved in there, but I thought that was more like uh, it somehow baited... Odysseus to their island, and then the the ship ended up breaking up on the rocks or something. I, I forgot. I don't know. So there's a Calypso, but I don't remember the details. Um. Yeah, but oh, talk about let, let's let's talk about Isis. Man, she was oh. Oof. She's a tad evil in this one. Oh, man, is she evil. I mean, Gary's incredibly evil. Um, but, man, when she's carving up all those people on, on on the planet, I mean, it's a... Oh, man, I mean, there's blood everywhere. I mean, she's just... She's kind of smiling, even, even flirting with Spock, as she's just carving people's chests up, and her hands are completely covered with blood. Yeah, she's evil. I, lo- I loved her. <laughs> I love that shot though. With, with her when she on the next page when she's turning into half Tholi and half uh, creature or half woman. Oh, <laughs> uh, when she's like at a red shirt in one hand, uh, yeah, stomping on another one, right? And she has those like insect uh, Tholian legs. It looks yeah. really cool. 
that it's it is very cool, but it's a little laughable too. I mean, it's I mean, there's there's that little upper torso um, on this like huge spider body bottom thing, yeah. which is a Tholian, but I mean, it just what, what what was that thing where seven turned into like a spider kind of thing? Right in that uh, uh, that hive. Right, right. Uh, That reminded me of it a little bit. I was getting the same vibe. Yep. Right, but 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 the bottom is huge here. I mean, she's like ah, she's huge. Yeah, and then on the next page, she she loses her human torso and becomes just a a giant folian. Right. And thank gosh that uh, that Sulu and Chekhov and the guys like just like we're not screwing around anymore. Let's we're getting the rifles out and we're going after her. That's great. Uh, so I find it unusual that uh, that now they've got bright eyes in a spacesuit, right? Which is what within the spacesuit? It's hot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they were talking about that in the, in the previous issue. That right. uh, you know, if, if his containment suit opens up, then basically the heat of the sun will pour out and melt the ship. Oh. <laughs> Is that what it Although was? it looks like his little feet still poke out, so it's just like how how is that completely sealed, sealed if if his feet can still poke out? Right, I don't know, but I don't think you're supposed to pay that much attention to it. Exactly. Plus, how is it a containment suit if he can still create energy blasts out of his hands? Yeah, so they yeah. must be getting through the suit to come out. Yeah, without uh, destroying the gloves. Exactly. So yeah. a little inconsistent. Yeah. Some uh, some magic suitage going on. Yeah, don't think too much. But uh, but yeah, here they are. They're building another transwarp uh, beaming. So <laughs> what is up with that? I guess well, this is not really transwarp. It's not transwarp. It's just this is just normal beaming. Exactly. I mean, because the ship's actually coming towards them. Yeah. Right. It's, it's <laughs> so close. the distance is getting shorter and shorter. Uh, it's just that how do you whip up? I mean, so. The pods don't have a transporter, but you're able to cobble together in like 10 minutes a transporter. Exactly. So yeah. that's... And then power it with, with Tholian thermal Radiation, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So from, a, from an engineering standpoint, you need to have something that will convert the radiation into what electricity, right? Exactly. So that's one challenge. And then the other challenge is you're just whipping together some kind of incredibly sophisticated scanning equipment that'll scan Spock to the micro-molecular level and be able to reassemble him on the bridge? It's like, oh, don't think too much, but I don't know. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and he's using parts that were supposed to be used for housing or whatever once the, the pod landed. Right. Uh, just So I know he's a miracle worker, but come on. <laughs> exactly. Oh, Although I do like weapon. that, I do like that line when he's cobbled it together, and he's like, uh, "Spock, I just got to let you know, uh, this is either going to work or it's not." <laughs> <laughs> I understand. Yes, and not means really not. Right. Right. So, uh, so I, I did enjoy that part, though. Yeah. And I kind of liked how Bright Eyes wanted to fight the creature, but. Uh, they were having to hold him back so that he could power the thing. I mean, exactly. it was a good scene. Just when you think about the the technology and, and his uh, prowess with the electronics, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. 
So uh, I liked how in your synopsis you talked about uh, the ship pulling up at the last minute like that. Hmm. Would have uh, been radiating a lot of heat from its uh, atm- atmospheric uh, dive. Or thrusters or what, whatever they were able to use to get altitude again. Right. At Plus, the very least, like... the wind. <laughs> you got this huge ship bearing down on you. And let's say that there's nothing coming off of the ship like radiation or thrusters or anything like that. What about the wind? Well, and it's like there's they're standing underneath these like giant stone pillars that the Enterprise is crashing through. So yeah. you know that's another at least thing. Get hit by boulders. Yeah. yeah, I mean it looks cool and everything. You know, bonus on the coolage, but yeesh. So. When I was reading it, the uh, change in artists didn't bother me too much. But now going through it again, you know, when when the art style kind of changes every other page, right? It, it is a little jarring. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I did not notice it when I was reading. I was, I guess, I was too engrossed in the story. Right. I I noticed it a little bit, but really, I I quickly forgot about it. Right. Okay, so I want to talk about the gun. Okay, the Black and Decker gun? The Black and Decker gun. Uh, so I'm on the page, I'm looking at it. So Kirk shoots Seven in the chest. And Seven is hurled back like he's been hit with a shotgun or something. So there's, whatever this gun is, there's some kind of kinetic energy going with it, which is interesting. And it says zrang, so that's the that's, that's the sound it makes, I guess. And you see off of his chest, Gary's chest, um, like all this blue like energy or something coming off. And then it's like blue energy, blue energy. Then boom! Then there's an explosion. Right. And then he's like laying there with his chest open, but instead of like a whole bunch of blood. It's like gray, brown, something or other. Right. So I don't Which know whether what, that's... That's what I thought was the armor, the, the the special clothing armor, that it was. It somehow overloaded and exploded. Okay, okay. Okay, but, okay that, that's another good point. Yeah, so what caused the explosion? Was that a characteristic of the gun? Or was it, like you just said, his body armor... Uh, personal shield, whatever. Um, that mechanism, something, some mechanism blew up uh, that w- that was in his clothes, which is probably more likely. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I can't imagine that being like if you hit anybody with that, it would just like form some energy on on the person's chest, and then, well, because we saw the the Enterprise people getting hit with it, and they just went down. Right. Exactly. And, and we explode. and we did see that blue lightning earlier in the issue, or actually we the previous issue, issue eleven. Right. Yeah, when he was getting dressed. Right, right. So yeah, yeah so, so I, t- I took it as his his special armor got hit and exploded and took off half his face. Right, and the idea that the armor would make him impervious to phaser fire. That makes sense because you know ahead of time what you're going to go up against and you know how the phasers work so you can prepare for that. But the idea that his own gun could get past his own defenses, that kind of makes sense. 
and the Tholian Blast uh, maybe took it down a couple of notches too. Mm-hmm. Could be. Previous Could be. issue. Yeah, so uh, was it, I mean, they've got blood everywhere other in other parts of these issues. I mean, especially when ISIS is going into town on the red shirts. Sure. So why is all the stuff coming out of Gary like black, gray, brown ooze? Are they trying to say that Gary Gary doesn't have normal blood? That's part of his modifications? Yeah, good point. Like when he gets his eyeball poked out. Right. I mean, look at the stuff streaming down his, his face. I mean, shouldn't that be blood? Yeah. But it's like black. It's like it's like oil or something. What if we find out he's not even the real Gary? He's a, a replicant of some sort. Oh. Well, I, you know, either either Seven is somehow being uh, manipulated by a third party, which I think is something I might have mentioned before, or uh, he's justified somehow in what he's doing. But he's going right. about it in such a cutthroat manner. I mean, he doesn't even attempt to talk to Kirk. I mean, Kirk is very reasonable where he's trying to say, we can work through this. You know, just, you know, tell us what's going on. I mean, why are you doing all this? Let's, we can work out something where you don't have to kill people. Uh, but Gary will have none of it. Um, that, I don't know. Right. It's very un-Gary-like. It's very un-Gary-like. Uh, anyway. All right, good. So uh, the next and last issue we'll do today is uh, Year 513, which came out August of 2020. Uh, the writer, again, is Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly. Artist by Angel Hernandez. Colors by Fran Gamboa. Letterer Neil Yutaki. Edits by Chase Morotes. Consulting editor Denton J. Tip. All right, so the first cover is by Stephen Thompson, and it shows Kirk wearing his... Uh, dress blues and in this case dress greens and he's looking out the window and then outside the window we see uh, a dozen or so uh federation ships kind of all floating in front of them and then the uh next cover which is by the uh jj lipton no this says cover by stephen thompson too so maybe not yeah but it kind of looks like jj lendl's style but it it definitely says stephen thompson Hmm. All right, so the the second cover is, again, kind of in that old retro poster-type look. Up in the top corner, it says, The Enterprise Comes Home, But Who Awaits Her? And then inside of it is a giant uh, Klingon Empire logo. And then inside the logo, we see Kirk and Lieutenant Shaw's face. And then in one part, we see a Klingon. And then another part, we see Spock. And then kind of around everything, is uh, it's all red, and then we see silhouettes of a bunch of Federation ships on one side, and a single silhouette of the Enterprise on the other. And it's entitled, The Guide of Fear. Alright, so uh, the story starts, kind of like that cover, where Kirk is in his dress uniform, the green with the little uh, star logos, medals or whatever on his chest. Uh, He's sitting at the bridge of the Enterprise as the Enterprise arrives for the first time in Federation space. And they're greeted by a huge armada of Federation ships, including the new NX-1987 USS Theseus, which is pretty much a motion picture era ship with the uh, squared nacelles and everything. He is then greeted by Admiral 
Kuroxi, who is wearing the motion picture pajamas. Kirk and the crew beam over to the Theseus for a welcome home party. There, Kirk is greeted by Attorney General Shaw, who we will remember from the classic Taz episode Court Martial, and also the DC Comics Volume 2, issues 10 through 12, which we covered in episode 59, which was entitled The Trial of James T. Kirk. So that's just a little background on Shaw. So Shaw and Kirk talk about the new ship designs and the uniforms before moving into some more important topics. She tells him that the Federation is dying and needs a new leader, one who has seen the galaxy for what it really is. Someone like James T. Kirk. But their conversation is cut short as the red alarm blares through the ship. Kirk arrives to the bridge as Admiral Karaxi is looking at the unknown design of a giant Klingon ship. They are then hailed by a Klingon who calls himself Devokok. Yeah, I mispronounced that. Uh, Devokol. We're going to go with that. Who claims that he can wipe out the entire fleet unless they hand over Kirk. At first, the Admiral refuses, and then Kirk has a conversation with him and Shaw, and they discuss that it's really up to Shaw, since she is the Federation legal authority at this moment, and that this seems to be a Klingon legal matter. Um, the Admiral agrees and informs the Klingon to beam over, and they can discuss it. Kirk and Shaw head to the transporter room to receive their guests. Meanwhile... The last of the wounded is being transferred off of the Enterprise. McCoy sees them being wheeled away, and he promises to check on them soon. The crewman who's pushing the gurney informs McCoy that that's not going to be possible. They are now in the care of the ship as Culpus. Uh, McCoy is upset by this, but he is eventually overruled, and the wounded are departed from the ship. Meanwhile, in the transporter room, a bumpy-headed Klingon beams over. He is offended that they greet him unarmed when Kirk pulls out his trusty Swiss Army Federation pocket knife. The Klingon then cuts his own hand and challenges Kirk to surrender himself to the Empire to face a court ruling there. He gives Kirk one hour to set his affairs to order and he beams away. Meanwhile, Spock and McCoy don the motion picture medical uniforms and beam aboard the medical ship. McCoy does some surgery on a locked door so that they can enter, and when they do so, they see a bank of terminals that show countless people being tortured or just uh, not helped with various diseases. They see that uh, the people are... All these people that they're watching are coming from other five-year missions, and they're being forced to suffer various ailments which could be easily cured. Before they can depart and report their findings, they are captured by black-clad officers. The leader of the officers say that they are going to be arrested for being spies and that he wants the Tholian brought to him. Meanwhile, Kirk is filling out his last will and testament or recording it and he talks about uh, David and how he didn't do anything fatherly for him and that uh, he's going to leave him everything including his heart and then he apologizes before he's beamed over to the Klingon ship while he's rematerializing onto the 
Klingon battleship, we see some Klingon honor guards with giant batliths standing in front of a throne with uh, the Klingon leader. And he says, the gauntlet, the gauntlet of Kalis begins to be continued. Wheel dog, look at the size of those batliths. Those are big. Those are big batliths. Yeah, I, mean, I I think the length isn't necessarily that out of alignment, but the depth of the blade it just looks huge. Right. You know what I mean? The yep. No, they they look more like axes, like <sighs> giant axes, like giant axe heads. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I mean, I, so I think they're just trying to visually pump up the the menace, um, facing Kirk. But uh, those batlets are really big. Anyway, I, I like these this design better than the discovery design of batlets. They just seem discovery. Too busy. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, the re the reimagining. Right. Yeah. So 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 they you know they look like TNG style batlets mostly. You right. know, like wharf except it's just they're just kind of big. Right. The blades is is really unwieldy. I mean, if you were going to execute somebody, maybe you'd want something that big. But in a, like a fight or something, it just looks too big and heavy. Right, right. Well, speaking of that picture, look at Kirk. He looks really young, like yeah. almost like Chris Pine. Exactly. I was thinking the same thing. And especially Chris Pine in Beyond. Right. So, you know, the uniform is kind of like built up a little bit. So it's kind of, you know, wider and... It's like there's shoulder pads in there or something. Right. And and the uniform just looks like the uniforms, they were a bit, I mean, not 100%, but a bit more like uh, the ones they used in Beyond. Yes, he looks uh, quite young, quite thin. Uh, but uh, that is quite a... <laughs> that it, I forgot the name of the Klingon leader that's in the ship, but uh, that is quite a throne he's on. <laughs> I kind of like it. I like it too. It's just like, wow, it's big. Right. Now, I mean, that's the first that's time... like an emperor's throne or something. Well, I mean, again, I, I was really getting a discovery vibe off of this issue as a mm -hmm. whole. So the Klingon ship design also kind of gave me the a discovery vibe where everything's kind of over over designed and mm -hmm. ornate, like he's he's the new Vok or whatever. <laughs> Yes, but luckily they have hair and uh, ridges. Right. They got ridges, right? Yeah, yeah they, they got. Have, yeah, they have ridges. Yep. Yeah. So this is uh, more of a TNG than a Discovery, um, or TNG or uh, motion picture. Right. Um, but even the ship. I mean, when we go back to the earlier in the issue when the ship shows up, I mean, it kind of looks like. It's a different color, so it's like all red, not the normal greenish color that we're used to for Klingon ships. And it has a whole bunch of extra protruding bits. So, uh, I mean, that's not a normal Klingon ship that we've seen before, right? Well, no. I mean, it, it, it reminds me of a bird of prey as opposed to a D7 in the shots. Uh, but definitely there's extra stuff sticking out of it. Like there's like a little antennae or whatever sticking out of where the, uh, you know, like midway in the wing or the pi or nacelles, nacelle right. pylons. 
Right. Um, there's definitely extra stuff. And as far as the red cast to it, is that <clears throat> is that a carryover from the lighting, the you know, the emergency lighting at the? Because uh... they're in the party and everything goes red and boee boee. Right. Right. So I I don't see how it could be, but no, I don't I don't think so because. On the bridge, it's normal colored, and then the yeah. screen is the only thing that has red on it, which is the Klingon ship. Yeah, I it, took it as that it was the Klingon ship. Well, it's, it's definitely the Klingon ship. Oh, oh, you mean the Klingon ship is red colored? Red, right. Yeah, and I, I think in the next issue, whenever it gets published, um, I have my doubts it's going to be a red ship, but we'll see. But it's definitely we'll red in this issue. All right, thirty days from now, you'll be eating your words. <laughs> <laughs> well hopefully it comes out in 30 days okay yeah i mean has star trek ever had a red ship ever uh just in the uk strips when they had the little red space oh park. well it's, it's yeah okay well that's that's a different topic right that's about as non-canon as you can get uh yeah so but i, I get more of a feel of a of a bird of prey like what we saw in Star Trek uh, three and four, uh, than you know a big D seven, right? But I mean, a bird of prey is pretty dang small, and it can't take out the whole Federation, even if it did have this magical warhead thing that this one says <clears throat> he has. Well, I wouldn't think if you so small. If you're carrying uh, a thermal nuclear bomb in the middle of a bunch of ships, uh, you be able to do it if they're packed in close enough. So, I mean, that's what they're kind of saying, right? I mean, they don't right. call it thermonuclear, but they're saying basically they're going to blow up the ship. Yeah, he calls it something. Some sort of warhead. Yeah. A radiation signature unlike anything we've seen. Yeah, whatever. Anyway. Yeah, whatever. Magic warhead. Magic warhead. <laughs> right. So, uh, so speaking of all those ships, what did you think about that? I mean, so they kept, they made a big deal that this is the first time the Enterprise has been back home. But I don't think that's true because, I mean, even in Court Martial, it seemed like they came back and then K-7, the space station, that was in Federation space. So It's in Federation space, yeah. I feel like they've been in Federation space throughout their five-year mission. Yeah. So for them to be like, hey, you're finally home for the first time in five years, I'm like, that can't be true. <laughs> Is it? It can't be, right? Yeah, and, and, and also, I mean, the way they talk is like, I mean, this isn't the end of the five-year mission, right? Definitely feels like it. it they make it, They're making it seem like it, but it's not like they show up at Earth. They're, they're at Starbase 212, the Federation border. So this right. is just the border. So. Right. They assembled all these ships at the Federation border just because the Enterprise is coming back into Federation space? Really? Wow. Yeah, and there are hundreds of ships. There's a bunch. I mean, I'm assuming they're ships. I mean, they kind of just look like little ovals <laughs> with no definition, but... Uh, yeah. It's implied they're ships. Yeah. But yeah, why would they do that? I mean, there has to be other five-year missions out there that come home, and sure. do they really bring every ship from the Federation all in the one place to sure. bring it home. And, and this really shouldn't be the end of the five-year mission, right? I mean, this thing's ongoing. I don't know. Right, right. Unless this trial thing goes on long. Yeah, well, I love the Theseus. Yeah, no, it looks nice. 
Um, like you say, the nacelles look like what the Enterprise refit's going to get. I mean, there might be some little differences as it trails off towards the back, but it looks pretty much like uh, the pylons, even what you can see of the pylons. They look like they're, you know, the refit Enterprise. Um, the saucer section, though, reminds me more of uh, Excelsior. Eh, I guess so. Yeah. Because if you look at the smoothness of it, even the refit Enterprise, <laughs> I mean, it's still got, you know, it's been reworked a bit, but it's got, you know, a chunkier kind of um, secondary or primary primary saucer hull. This right. is much smoother, and it's not the same, 100% the same as the Excelsior, but it's pretty close. And it's so big. That's what got me was... I mean, it's way in the background, not way in the background, but it's in the background away from the Enterprise, and it looks like it, like the Enterprise is dwarfed by it. Yeah. It is the closest ship to the Enterprise. Right. But you it's know. like twice as big. It's big. Well, the Excelsior is pretty big. Yeah, but still. Yeah. So NX, so it's an it's experimental ship. Um, yeah. you, test bed, probably, for a lot of... Uh, Cutting edge designs, so yeah, yeah, I just loved it when I when I turned that page and saw that thing. I was like, "Ooh, the future!" Can't wait for Eagle Moss to do this one. Yeah, well, <laughs> Eagle Moss, they're they're, <laughs> they're on track for making like just everything because <laughs> they they're really they're really making very obscure ships. That just popped up like in one episode, and really not for that long. Uh, anyway, whatever. Um, so, so uh, is that the Enterprise underneath it and to the side? Because it looks like it's the exact same picture, just uh, copy and pasted. The the one that looks like the NX zero one Enterprise that actually exactly. has NX zero, and then the kind of the one is kind of obscured, but it looks just like the NX zero one. It does. And there's two of them because there and it's there are it's just a copy and paste job exactly. And it's like, why did they put that in there? I mean, obviously the, by this time period, the NX zero one is in is in mothballs. Right, it's right. Be. It's at the Smithsonian right now. Exactly. So why do they have two of them flying around? That doesn't make much sense. <laughs> None at all. Unless the unless, artist unless was they a were big like, fan. This is such a big. Big deal. Let's bring out even the ships that are retired. Retired. Yeah, yeah. I'm not. I don't. I don't buy that. So I, I, I thought that was cool to see. At first, I thought it was just the ship that kind of resembled it. But then when I zoomed in, you can actually see that the registration is NX dash zero, and then looks a lot like a one. Uh, that made me a little upset that it would just imply that there's two enterprises and that they're mm -hmm. still around. Yep. Doesn't make sense. It's not, it's not even the refit one. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you would think that maybe the refit one with the secondary hull, um, you know, maybe that's it, but uh, well, you can't see underneath. You can't see behind it, no, can you? you? Can't see it. Nah. And it still was still the NX-01, wasn't it? Even with right. refit? Yeah, I think so. 
Yeah, but you, well, whatever. Anyway, so anyway, uh, yeah, so it, it was both cool and a little uncool that it was there. Right. I love the design, but come on. <laughs> <laughs> and then a lot of those ships in the background are just ovals, gray ovals. Yeah. Well, I get you can't put super detail in all of it, no. but and if it's far enough away, you couldn't see it. So. But anyways, a lot of ships for a uh, welcome home party for the Enterprise. There you go. I did like how they called the Theseus the flagship of the Federation. Oh, they so, did? Yeah. But it's... Okay. Yeah, welcome wait, aboard. Wait he says, this is Admiral Coraxi aboard the Federation flagship Theseus. Wow. Hmm. Okay. Enterprise Enterprise was always the flagship, wasn't it? Yeah, but now that there's a new one, Enterprise mm. got the boot. <laughs> Which makes me think that Theseus might not it might not be around at the end of this issue. The the story. <laughs> <laughs> so I do like how they, uh, you know, like with DC Comics when they did their uh, missions end storyline, they mm-hmm. they had the Enterprise coming back and then start. Interacting with uh, other ships that had the pajamas, so they're kind of doing the same thing. Here they come back, and some ships are already wearing the new uniforms. It's kind of cool, right? Because I love those pajamas. on On paper, they look really cool. Uh. On actors, they look really bad. <laughs> Except for Kirk's, I do think Kirk's look good either way. Well, the Kirk and White. Yeah, Kirk had multiple ones, didn't he? He even had yeah. that. That short sleeve white one. But what about the high collar McCoy one that that he dons in this issue too? The the V neck <laughs> with the giant collar. Right. Uh, so so seventies. <laughs> well, what about um, Lieutenant? What's her name? The attorney who who's now the attorney general. Saw so, yeah. So I, like I thought. Hmm? Go ahead. But go ahead. No. I thought the fact that they put her in the Federation, basically the Federation console uh, president's robes from Star Trek, was it four or three? Three. Three? Four. Well, one of them. Um, Because they had... um, Yeah, at the beginning... It was Star Trek Four. So at the beginning of Star Trek Four, they had a gray-haired, white-bearded actor in basically the same robes, uh, pretty much the same. And uh, and he was the president of the Federation Council in the movie. So he was the president. Blah blah blah. And now she's Attorney General. So Attorney General of the entire Federation. Wow. Um. That's pretty impressive. Uh, and she's come a, quite a long way since uh, the court martial episode where she was uh, basically prosecuting Kirk. Right. And she was just a lieutenant then. So she yep. goes from lieutenant to yep. attorney general in two or three years. Right. So they, exa- exactly. Good point. Not a lot of time period here that has elapsed. So right. she left Starfleet. She was a lieutenant, and now she's 
attorney general of the Federation. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. But we had to have somebody we know, and why well, not reuse to, her? But... I mean, DC Comics did the same thing when they needed an attorney. Let's let's just bring back that shock character. Oh, yeah, okay. For the trial of James T. Kirk, which right. this really feels like it's going to be the trial of James T. Kirk, too. Yeah, but but this is but don't you get the feeling at the end of this issue, especially when what does the Klingon say something like uh, try try the trial of Kalis or whatever or what did he the say the gauntlet of Kalis. the gauntlet of so this to me sounds a lot less than a, of a legal proceeding and a <laughs> lot more of a Klingon trial by battle or something right yeah I was a little disappointed reading it when that when I because. In Star Trek V, that was supposed to be no, not five, six. In six, he has he's on trial uh, at Kalis or uh, Kronos or whatever, mm-hmm. and gets uh, a sentence to Aurora Pinthe or whatever mm-hmm. it was. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if they're going to do that here, then I'm going to be then that kind of takes away you know the uniqueness of Star Trek Six, where they were kind of new to the whole Klingon court proceedings. Right. So, yeah, if they're just going to fight him and it's going to be a fight to the death that's i don't know yeah uh, in one way i think i like it better but in another way i'm like yeah we've seen so many fight to the death to prove you're innocent it's also a little done too right well we'll see exactly how much of that they do how, how they right. how they do it uniquely right i hope it's something i haven't that that we haven't thought of just do its own thing right so, interesting they've got... Okay, so here's Kirk at the very end. He's transporting over. He has no idea that Spock and McCoy have been basically, what, arrested? Right. Um, by the internal... Um, you said it looked like uh, Section 31. Um, I thought they were Section 31. And they might be. I mean, it's they're... just... It's basically the black. It's basically the pajamas, the the t, the the motion picture pajamas, but black, which looks really cool. Well, it looks pretty cool, yeah. But looks like you know. But are they really imperial pa- soldiers <clears throat> in Star Wars? Where not soldiers, but the imperial officers. Yeah. Anyways, what? Yeah, but that looks more like a tunic to me. But it's hard to tell. It's all black and stuff. And it, but they do have the belly button sensors. Or whatever those are, uh, right? You know, from the motion picture uniforms. But yeah, these guys look like scary, um, you know, secret police, right? Kind of guys, uh, not good. And and obviously, what they're doing is they're taking they're taking crew members, alien crew members, and maybe not just alien, but definitely alien crew members from the Enterprise. And they're experimenting on them. Or yeah, doing not just something. the Enterprise, but yeah, any ship that came back from its five-year mission, they're they're taking anybody who I guess who got sick or injured, and then forcing them to, uh, you know, get the illness back or whatever, and just torture them. I, I don't know. I haven't quite figured out what what the end game is on that. I, I don't either. But the main point about this group. What would they call them? The uh, the original the originalists or something? Right. Is that the yeah, that's what they're called? The political group that's kind of taking right. Over the, so the I mean, federation. 
there was something like this in Enterprise, right? Um, there was a, a movement on Earth that was saying, hey, no aliens. Right? Um, yeah, wasn't so, that the one with um, Peter Robocop? Weller? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Great minds think alike. Yeah, so that was definitely a scary thing where... Uh, what, um, what's it called? Xenophobic. Xenophobic, that's it. Xenophobic tendencies. But now it's been expanded to say the original members of the Federation, are they saying? Yeah. Uh, but Andorians were original founding members of the Federation, right? Sure. Yet they're definitely taking and experimenting on Andorians. Um, and who's well, this guy? There's humans, too. Right, okay, okay. But who's this? Who's the guy calling the shots here? I mean, he's a new alien. I don't remember seeing them before. Uh, right. Although, actually, I do remember seeing them before because that's general whatever. So the... the, the Admiral. Or Admiral, sorry. So the Admiral uh, that was on the uh, the Theseus. Right. He appeared to be the same the same uh, species. Um, the right. same alien so, race. Yeah, so he's bald and he has like a checkered pattern of uh, ridges, like indents, indents in his head. Exactly. That get red when he's angry. Oh, uh, is that how that works? Yeah, yeah. Ah, so that's why yeah. when he's kind of getting overruled on the bridge, those these like indentions start to get getting red. Getting Good red. point. And then Good she point. even says, Shaw says, "You know, I, I see you're getting angry." <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't get that. So I don't know if this guy is supposed to be the same guy. I mean, they don't they don't give this guy a name, but you know, when when all you have is a, a Caucasian man with a bald head with a pattern on his head, they kind of all look alike. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's got a different uniform on. So right. he's got the black secret police uniform on as opposed to, you know, the motion picture style uh what gray and white right. whatever. And he has a medical oh, Yeah, what is that? As his as his uh badge. It it looks like a caduceus or something. Right. Uh yeah, that's odd. Because that's Which, not that's not the Starfleet swoosh. Now the two other guys have Starfleet swoosh kind of badges on. Right. But I mean uh, but but uh, McCoy's had that too when he was when he was wearing his uh, oh. pajamas. So he's actually a doctor, right? Oh, that's Which it. Made, that's what made me think he's not the same person because the other guy was wearing a normal Starfleet swoosh. Well, yeah, and he was an admiral, you know, right? But this okay. guy could be an admiral too. So that guy. Oh, well, yeah, maybe, but less likely. Okay, so he's a medical guy. That makes a lot more sense. Right. A very evil medical guy. Very evil. <laughs> evil. Yeah, he's part of Section 31 on the... <laughs> well, okay, maybe Section 31. Right. Bring the Tholian to me. That's his last words. Oh, boy, you better not You better not do anything to bright eyes, jerk. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I tried to look up what species that guy was to see if maybe it was something. But I was like, I would have remembered an alien that looked like, you know, something from Alienation. <laughs> uh, since I'm a big fan of Alienation, that would have that would have stuck with me. But yeah. uh, I can't I couldn't find anything on Memory Alpha or Memory Beta. So yeah, hopefully we'll learn who these people are soon. Well, maybe they're part of the uh, influence that's come under. Maybe 
part of the thing is that race itself is somehow influencing where uh, the Federation is going. Right. Now, do you think that this also has something to do with what Gary was trying to stop? So he didn't want Kirk to make it this far because Kirk's going to fix it. I don't know. I I, I don't know what uh, Gary's plan was. I assume that it was to keep Kirk from getting home. Well, yeah, he was trying to keep Kirk and the Enterprise and the crew from getting home. Right? So maybe it's Bright Eyes. Maybe Bright Eyes being here is going to cause some... Or... Yeah, I don't know. Or they're they're grabbing the crew and experimenting on them. Are they going to find something in the Enterprise crew uh, that ends up leading to the downfall of humanity? Or... Or... Is this whole thing, for, or is Gary engineering all of this, this whole originalist crap, to bring down the Federation? And if that's the case, then he does not want Kirk to come on. What, what was uh, Lieutenant Shaw starting to talk about um, before the, uh, the Red Alerts went? Uh, uh, yeah, basically that they want Kirk to be their candidate for Federation president, I thought. Uh, something like that. So try to bring you know, bring some morality back to the powers in government uh, to try to stop what's going on, bring us back to our our, uh, our fundamentals, uh, our core values. Right. And, and that would, and if Gary didn't want that to happen, stopping Kirk and, and the Enterprise, blowing them all up, would do that. Right. But we know that he doesn't become president because uh, I've seen not. the movies. <laughs> <laughs> well, this whole this whole thing, this whole whole originalist thing. I mean, I don't know how much longer the five year mission is going to go in this series of comics, but I mean, how much time? I mean, I we know how much time in the real world <laughs> elapsed, but by the time the five year mission ended. And Admiral Kirk is Admiral for a while. And the motion picture thing starts. I mean, is there that big a time period? I mean, was that like five years, six years? What's it supposed to be? It it certainly isn't supposed to be 15 or 10 years, is it? Um, Uh, Yeah, I think it's just five years. Yeah, something like that. Um, So none of this has ever been mentioned before. Right. (laughs) Yeah, you know, this is not part of canon anywhere. Um, but oh, well, in in one of the balloons when the Enterprise arrives, it says fifty four months, which would be four and a half years. So if oh. they're really going to go five five years, oh, so they're only halfway. Th- then halfway I, I through. take it that they still have they still have uh, six months left of okay. Their five so years. that'd be good. That's if it's exactly five years. Okay, to, good point. to the to the to the month. Good, good calculations. But it'll be cool if the next, uh, the rest of the issues they're wearing the pajamas, <laughs> <laughs> and they bring Decker on. And no, you don't want to see Decker. Oh, I, I don't mind Decker. It's just that's totally not appropriate. Not yet. Not as the captain. Just bring you on. Well, to... no. What? He's he's a new member of the crew. I don't. Yeah. I don't see how that works with uh, continuity. Well, what'd you think of the the pocket knife? 
<laughs> yeah, so a Starfleet knife, and this does not look like just a pocket knife. This looks like a good-sized uh, Starfleet logo and everything uh, knife, a decent-sized one. Right. Because it's got to be decent-sized, because that's sure what the Klingons use. Right. Big, uh, nasty uh, duck tangs, or however you pronounce that. I couldn't tell if it was supposed to be duck retractable tongs. or not. Do you, do you think it's retractable? <sighs> I don't know. Uh, I can't tell. Yeah, I couldn't either. Uh, it, it looks like a solid knife. Uh, right. That isn't retractable, but who knows. Yeah, so good thing he thought to bring it. Otherwise, wow. the Klingon would be all mad that uh, they they sh- don't have any weapons. But they didn't fight or anything. He was just like, you show without weapons? And then Kirk's like, I got my knife. <laughs> okay. And look, it's decent sized. Right. Not as big as yours, but decent. And then size. he just then he just cuts his hand and says, "See you in an hour." <laughs> I like the little I like the little smile on Kirk's face when he met, when the Klingon mentions the trip the triples. Right. <laughs> That's kind of cool. I kind of it, it it lightens the mood a little bit, just a little bit. Yeah, and I, I, yeah, so I, like, I liked I liked all the little nods to past encounters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They did. The writer did a good job of touching base on all the all the times that Kirk has slighted them. Right. Almost like they watch the show. <laughs> so when he leaves the or the transporter room, um, isn't it interesting how the Klingon transporter effect makes it look like the Klingon is exploding in a red mist? Yeah, it looks awesome. It looks awesome. Kind of odd. Just a little odd. But it looks great. Just Yeah, so basically it's the Klingon, for, for those of you that might be listening, um, it's the, the Klingon upper torso and face, and it just looks like there's just an explosion of red blood, or, well, red light anyway, all around him as he's transporting off. Very odd. But looks yeah, cool. and it happens to Kirk, too, when he's... Uh... When he's getting beamed away at, at the end, it's kind of like, you know, imagine quantum leap, but instead of it being blue energy that's like radiating off of him, it's red. And then he just appears in the, uh, the next page. Yeah, so, okay, so Kirk is doing his will and testament and whatever. So did he actually organize ahead of the time with the Klingons that they would transport him over? Nope. Because that looks like again the Klingon kind of effect, as you as you point out. Yeah. Oh, uh, that that doesn't look like Federation transporters. Nah, he just he has a clock, he has a watch, he knows when an hour's up. And Why? Like, All right, I okay. guess they're gonna beat me away. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I That's don't know. A little odd. A little odd. And I keep assuming Shaw's gonna show up too, right, as his counsel. But uh, we'll see well, how they arrange that. If it's somehow a con- uh, trial by combat, I don't think she's gonna be too helpful. Yeah, That's true. You don't know what she's hiding under those robes. <laughs> a BFG. She's got a BFG and she knows how to use it. So something interesting this is a little little departure, but are they actually saying that Andorians have hooves and not feet? Uh, yeah, I don't know what that was about. Right. So there's I think an it was an- just a joke. About. Well, it's a joke, yes, but is it based on something? So, 
the Andorian is on one of the gurneys being transferred from the Enterprise to uh, the horror show that apparently are, is the medical ship. And McCoy says, jokingly, I guess, to the to, to the Andorian who's thanking McCoy for, you know, patching him up, whatever. I'm just happy I didn't have to put you down and use your hooves for glue. It's like, oh, okay. Great joke, McCoy. Uh, but yeah. hooves? Hooves? Andorians have hooves? Since when? I don't think so. I think that's just... They they wanted to throw in some country humor in there, and, well, and that's uh, that's what they chose. Okay, but but yeah, you're kind of out of left like field. I mean, Saru, fine. Saru has hooves. Does he? Yeah. Okay. Well, oh, oh, yeah. I thought those were just little tiny pointy toes. No, no, he ba- they got him in funny shoes or uh, you know fake fake shoes, um, where basically he's he's like a cow. In the fact he's got hooves for feet. Huh. Part of the reason he's so tall. That guy's tall anyway. Oh, he's but tall. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The actor's tall, the outfit's tall, and then they got him uh, on these, like, stilty kind of things. Um, right. I love the drawing of uh, an Enterprise shuttle, or a shuttlecraft, period, because it's showing it from the back shot. And it's not just the shoebox. Right. It has those fins at the top or whatever. Well, it's it, it it's a little stylized. But so, yeah, rather than it being just a shoebox, the whole back end where the impulse engines are and stuff, um, it's almost like it's black. And it's almost like a whole different piece from the side parts. Right. It, it's a little stylized. I think it looks cool. Um, and it almost has those, like, like top flange kind of things, the very top coming in, kind of like if you wanted to take one of these things and and kind of, like, mount, the, you know, put them, put them away for storage or something in the Enterprise Bay, you know, when it's not out ready to fly off. It's almost like something like hooks. You can kind of kind of hook it. In a in a spot. Anyway, I I, th- I thought the drawing was great. It yeah, it's very cool. I mean, and I'm assuming it's the Galileo Seven since it has the Seven registry. Yep. <clears throat> um, and another thing, I love the ice sculpture Enterprise they have at the reception. Ah, is the that an ice sculpture? I thought it was a hologram. Oh, okay. It, it could be a lot of things, sense. but <laughs> I thought it was an ice sculpture. So it was oh, okay. like, oh, a, a schlocky thing they do these days, or at least maybe the, actually, I think ice sculptures were more like in the '90s or something, or or whatever. But uh, but nowadays they do ice sculptures and really fancy kind of things or whatever. Uh, and and they they had the Enterprise there. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, that is really cool. I, I thought it was a hologram, but now that it now that I know it's ice, it makes it even cooler. <laughs> Literally. Literally. <laughs> when I first saw Admiral Caraxi, his name, you uh-huh. know, the Starfleet uh, guy who's on the Theseus, I thought his name sounded very familiar. So I just did a, a search and I and I, I found out The Klingon Corax? Exactly. Lieutenant Corax. 
who was in trouble with Tribbles. Um, and he, you know, he, he wasn't the main Klingon, but he was one of them, and he was the jerk that started the fight with Scotty on K-7 Space Station by calling the Enterprise a garbage cow. So I thought, ah, well, I guess they're running out of names. Of names. <laughs> no, his name is not Korax, it's Koraxi. I know, there's an I at the Get end. Get it right. I know. There's an I at the end of the new guy, but <laughs> it's very close. I'm just pointing it out. Yeah, no, I noticed it when I was uh, trying to find out what species Koraxi was. It, oh. Every time I did a search, it was like, do you mean Lieutenant Korax? No. <laughs> oh, okay, there you go. There you go. So that's funny. Okay, that's it. That's my last comment. That's uh, except, it, right. Yeah, that's it for this issue. I'm just... Um, you know, whenever they do something like this, where it's like, hey, everybody's heroes and everybody, oh, yeah, rah, rah, uh, Starfleet and the Federation. And, you know, they're always the good guys. Well, pretty much always the good guys. Um, and then you get into uh, some kind of story where eh, maybe Star Trek, uh, maybe the Federation and Starfleet isn't always the good guys. It gives you, makes you a little uncomfortable. Like, oh, my God, why do you have to do this, you know, to my to my heroes? Right. But um, it's been done multiple times in in the world of Star Trek. I, I mentioned the thing about uh, you know Enterprise TV series Enterprise definitely had something going on there, um, which was more the government I think that the the Federation or no that was Earth government that was before the Federation. Right. Okay. Okay, but whatever. I mean they you know Picard they made a big stinking deal out of that. A lot of people and, uh, and Discovery. Yeah, right, right. Um, anyway, so it's a little uncomfortable, but it's like, fine, let's see what happens. I'm looking forward to the next issues. Well, you're going to have to wait a little bit longer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so did you actually hear about a time frame? No, but now that the the whole COVID thing is not messing with the schedule anymore, I think I think we're, we should be good getting okay. them every month. Right. So a lot of businesses have hopefully, and that, um, you know, we can get back to producing more of the things we like to watch. All right, Ken. So next week, why don't we stick with IDW, but do something a little different and do some of the John Byrne new visions. Cool. We haven't done those in ages. Right. So the last time we did it was uh, Apollo having that baby in issue number 11. So... (laughs) Just go with uh, issues twelve and thirteen. Okay, twelve and thirteen. So this uh, one, the, this one's called the Swarm. I don't know if that's supposed to be. Kind of looks like Tholians on the cover, but not quite. So yeah. I'm kind of curious to see what that is. Yeah, I I'd be very curious to see what they do with Tholians if it is Tholians. I mean, if they're would they because there's there isn't a lot of footage you could lift of a Tholian from Taws. Right. Hmm. Would he have to do a lot? Would he have to supplement with a lot of uh, drawings? Or that Photoshop magic? Yeah. We'll we'll find out. We'll all find out. Wonderful. Together, yes. Yes. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening, and we'll be back next week. Sounds great. See you guys next time on The Review. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. 
All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. <laughs>